Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Merry Christmas. We're continuing our Advent series as we focus on the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Week one, we looked at Jesus, our hope, and what it means to have a hope in a person and not just in the circumstances around us. Last week, we talked about Jesus, our peace, and that he gives us this opportunity to not just escape our circumstances in order to find peace, but in order to really address issues and conflicts head on and be peacemakers. Well, in this message, we're focusing on week three of Advent, which is Jesus, our joy. You've probably noticed that in these messages, and actually many of the messages that I speak, we spend quite a bit of time talking about context and the words and their meanings. And one of the reasons we do this is because the times in which we live are much different than in Bible times. And so the way that we associate a word to a particular idea is many times different than in the context in which it was written. Context is of great importance. For instance, when Jesus tells a story about if you're invited to a table, that you would take the lowest, lowliest seat, and that way you could be elevated to a seat of honor, versus taking a seat of honor and then being humbled by asked to re be removed from that seat, I think many of us would maybe think about around these holidays, that's kind of like being asked to sit at the kid table, right? If you're an adult, <laughs> you're no longer invited to sit at the, the main table. You're told to sit at the kid's table, and, and somehow that's a demotion. In some ways, that's an okay picture of what that's talking about. But to really understand what it is that Jesus is talking about in that picture, that story, we have to understand the importance of honor and shame in a culture that is based in those concepts of honor and shame, much different than our culture that's based on achievement and uh, uh, your ability to accomplish something. And so when we read that, we need to put it in a context, and it has a much stronger emphasis to it, to be demoted and sitting in a place that would somehow bring you shame has a much more drastic feel to it than we might read into it. So it's not just the idea, but it's the setting in which we understand these words that has great significance. So more than just kind of a plug for our New Testament survey class that we do Sunday nights, I think it's a great uh, way to go deeper into the scriptures and understand setting and the context from which the scriptures were written. I really mention this because in our Advent series that we're in the middle of right now is that these words, hope, peace, joy, and next week, love, all of these words have meaning in scripture that don't typically get translated quite as clearly in our own language. And so we have to spend a little bit of time putting them in their context so that we really understand what it is that the Bible's teaching us. Uh, 
There's often a large gap between what we learned about something and what the Bible's teaching about something. And I would suggest that there's even a larger gap between our understanding of what it means and how we should apply it or when we apply it. What we're called to do is live out this life and live out our understanding in Jesus, not just understand it. And so it's this process of understanding it and applying it that leads to greater life. This time of year, our family has uh, an inside joke that I'll share with you. I'm usually the butt of the joke. Uh, I'm the punchline. And don't feel sorry for me. I've learned to deal with it. It goes back just a couple of years where I thought, you know, wouldn't it be good if I asked for exercise equipment? That would be on my wish list for Christmas. I could get some items, some equipment that would help me be healthier as I move into the new year. And so I listed these items and, and, and got them. I did it one year and then I did it the second year as well. And it included menu ideas. It included exercise uh, video and it included some equipment. And my family is generous enough that they uh, purchased those items for me. But here's where the joke begins, is that a couple of times they've caught me sitting on the couch watching the videos and not actually participating with them. A few times they've noticed that the menu book is in the kitchen in the drawer, but it really hasn't been used all that much. See, there's this big gap between what I know. I can tell you what's in those menus. I can tell you how I need to eat. I can tell you some of the exercises because I've seen them from the comfort of my couch. So I know a little bit about what those workouts look like. I have knowledge about it, but you wouldn't know that based on my activity level and how I actually apply those and understand those. So the joke is that uh, I probably shouldn't ask for any more exercise equipment until I'm ready to put into uh, practice and, uh, and use the stuff that I already have. Well, I laugh about this and we joke about this because there's a tie back to our Advent series. And Greater understanding of the Bible's teachings is most helpful in that it leads us to greater relationship with God and living more fully in him. So in this message, we're going to look at joy, the biblical understanding of joy and what that means, and, but also how we can apply it into our lives, not just to have an understanding of it, but that we would live in the fullness of joy that Jesus provides. So I invite you to join with me as I open in prayer and as we take the time to light the Advent candle, reminding us of Jesus our joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time where we have in your word, and we pray that as we open it, that it would open up our understanding of what it means to live in the fullness of joy that you provide. But not only our understanding would be opened up, but that our lives would be renewed, and that the application of this understanding, Lord, would change us and Help us to live more fully in the joy that you've provided. So Jesus, we thank you. You are our joy. 
You're our joy giver, and you're the one to whom we look to to bring joy, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearing and to our doing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Join with me now as we watch a short clip from the Bible Project on the biblical understanding of joy. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or in abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not 
healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus, that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Now as we open up the Bible there's the passage in Luke chapter 2. This is really kind of the primary portion of Scripture that we look to around Christmas time. And we're going to focus in on that portion of the Scripture where the angel comes and announces to the shepherds about Jesus' arrival. So if you have a Bible, look with me to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, or we'll have it on the screen for you you to follow along as well. Luke 2, verses 7 through 11. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now when we come to this portion of, of Scripture we already have in our mind, if we've seen manger scenes or uh, different uh, pictures from Christmas time. In fact, we can picture, can't we, in the fields, these shepherds who are busy, and then out of the sky comes this angel and this bright light that's all around the angel, and the shepherds closing their eyes or blocking this light that's coming towards them. The truth is, there's really nothing glamorous about the shepherds. We know if you've worked in agriculture at all and been out in fields with animals, it's not the most glamorous of work. It's good work. It's hard work. But there's not a lot of people paying attention to these shepherds in this story. We also, in reading this story, it's brought to light, I don't know if you caught it, but we tend to think of this angel elevated up in the sky with this bright light, but it actually doesn't say that. It just says that an angel appeared to them. So it very well could be that the angel just started walking in or appeared in their midst, right on the ground next to them. And it does say that the glory, in a sense, it enveloped them. So there they were all together. The angel appears the glory of heaven shining all around. And then these words, this angel speaks to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy. 
and it's for all people. One of the things that stands out to me is, why is it that the news of a Savior isn't necessarily good news and doesn't necessarily bring great joy to all people? The angel said that it's for all people, but you and I already know that not everybody receives the news of a Savior as good news, nor does everybody have great joy about that news. But why is that? What makes it good news and great joy for some, but for others, eh, a shrug of the shoulders or maybe even more defiant against that news? And it's news they don't even want to hear. Some people see it so much differently. I was thinking about this and I thought, what type of person doesn't receive it as good news? Well, the first type of person I thought of was somebody who has views themselves as self-made. A self-made person doesn't view news of a savior as good news and they don't receive it with great joy. The person who's self-made feels like, you know, I've got life pretty well figured out. Yeah, sure, I need a tweak here. I need a little self-improvement in this area, but I'm working on it. I've really got life. I know what I need to do. I've got a plan. I'm not desperate. I have intellect. I have influence. I have wealth, maybe. Jesus may even be a part of my life, but a savior? Do I really need a savior? I'm a pretty capable person. In fact, I would say I'm a self-made person. I picked myself up by my bootstraps, so to speak. Nobody gave me anything. And so do I need a savior? Well, maybe religiously speaking, but for the most part, I'm self-made and I've got life under control. What I really invite God to do is to bless my life, to bless my plan, the self-made person would say. I would like for God to give me the attention I need in order for my plans to accomplish it, but I don't want him to interfere with it. I've got a good plan. Remember, I'm self-made. I've got this somewhat figured out. I just need him to clear the path for me to accomplish it. Really, all that I really need is for that man upstairs to give me the okay, to throw a little something my way and help me make it through life. You know, for these types of people, the news of a savior, it sounds a little overdone. It's too much. Do I really need a savior for my life? I really just need a God, a, a, a spiritual being who will bless me and kind of clear the way when obstructions come. But really, I want to work out my path. It's not really great joy. It's not really good news that there's a savior for these folks. It's, yeah, I think it's a little too much. <laughs> the other group, these are the ones who already have saviors, all kinds of little saviors in their life. These people would say, you know, my job is what really keeps me going. It motivates me and it sends me through my day. A little savior in my work. My family. I'm so motivated by my family that they drive my life. They're the ones that I'm living for. They're the ones that determine 
why I do the things I do. They're my motivation. They're the love. They're the thing that gives me the greatest joy in my life. And so they're the one who I would look to. Sure, I want Jesus to help my family, but really they're the ones who I'm inspired by and keep me going. My hobbies, my passions, <laughs> these are the things that save me. I've got some great uh, binge watching to do. These are the things that motivate me, my little hobbies and activities. I enjoy this project and keep them busy with these things. My little saviors that keep me on the straight and narrow, that kind of keep me going throughout my days. You know, for these folks, Jesus may fit in their life, but he certainly isn't allowed to reprioritize their life at all. In fact, they would say, I'm quite fine with my little saviors that help me through my day, Jesus. Please don't disrupt them. Don't try to reprioritize and put yourself at the front. That's where my family goes. That's where my work goes. That's where my activities go. And you can fit in there. Just don't disrupt them. When they hear that Jesus wants to save you from these other loves, their response might be, why? I don't need saving. I just need Jesus to let me have the things that I want and life will go well for me. You know, it's very likely that you know someone for whom these things are true. It's also quite likely that you and I have been one of these people at various times in our lives. We've been the person who said, I'm self-made. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Sure, I want the man upstairs to bless me, but I've got it pretty well figured out, and I just want God to fit into my plan. Or I've been that person, maybe you've been that person who's had other loves, other little saviors who you would say, well, that's what really makes it through my day. Yeah, I need God there, but... Boy, if I didn't have that, I just wouldn't make it through life. It's at these times that the good news actually brings less joy. It's for these people that the idea of good news and a Savior seems more like an interruption. In fact, let me say it this way. When we want our life and our loves on our terms, the joy of a Savior seems more like an intrusion than good news. When we want life on our terms, when we want our loves without interruption, the news of a Savior, the news that there is a King, the news that Jesus has come, can sometimes sound more of an interruption than a welcome announcement to our life. There were many people that Jesus encountered for whom this was true. His presence was an intrusion, even though he was the Messiah. He was the one they were waiting for. It should have brought such tremendous joy everywhere that he went. And for some it did, but others, not as much. I think about the story of the young, wealthy man whom Jesus came to. And the man was seeking how he could have the full life that he wanted and Jesus listed a few things and he said, I've done all those things. And the next thing Jesus said was, now go and sell all of your possessions and then come and follow me. That portion of scripture says that that man became very sad. 
he turned away and did not follow Jesus. This is one for whom great news, great joy of the Savior stopped being good news. It stopped being, it started being an intrusion into his life. We think about the other individual who came to Jesus and said, can I follow after you? Jesus says, leave everything, come now. And he said, but I've got family. I've got, I've got things I've got to tend to. And Jesus said, no one who sets himself to the kingdom is worthy unless he comes after me, leaves it all and comes after me. And similar result, this, this man was sad. Jesus was asking for a reprioritization of his life Good news, great joy. Your Savior has come. But for that man, Jesus was an intrusion into his, his life. There were so many others, leaders who didn't want to lose power and influence. Even deeply spiritual people in Jesus' time, they were offended at Jesus because they didn't come and bring things the way that they thought God should bring them. Good news, great joy. But they said, not if you don't come the way that we want you to come, not if you don't do the things that we want you to do. Spiritual people who thought God would do and say things that they anticipated or wanted him to do, and instead this good news and great joy became a disappointment for them, and they walked away. All of these, all of these have sources of joy. These people the wealthy man, the man that had family that he was attending to, the people who were looking for God to come in power and in ways that he would meet their needs, ways that they anticipated him to, they all had this idea of how God would bring them joy and he wouldn't ask them to reprioritize their things. He wouldn't intrude upon the life that they had already established. For all of these, they had a source of joy. But you know, it wasn't the source of joy. It was conditional on the circumstances and the setting in which they lived. It wasn't the joy that the prophets pointed to as they awaited the Messiah. It wasn't the joy that Mary had when the angel came and spoke to her and said, you're going to conceive a son. You're going to conceive the Messiah. It wasn't that type of joy. It wasn't the joy that Jesus spoke about in accomplishing the Father's will, a deep and abiding joy that he had by being obedient to the Father. Nor was it the type of joy that the Apostle Paul had even while being imprisoned and he could sing of how the joy of the fellowship in Christ's sufferings welled up within him as he pursued Jesus. No, the, the type of joy that's conditional, it doesn't respond in those settings. And, and that type of joy comes because it's anticipating what's yet to happen. It's a joy that's founded on God's promises. Real joy is rooted in the good news that the kingdom has come. Great joy for all mankind because all the things that have been wrong for so many years are about to become right. The deep joy that 
each of these scenarios, the prophets, Mary, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, each of these, they can come at any time, at any circumstance, because it's a joy that comes from heaven, and it's not rooted in the conditions that we live in. This is the joy that the angel talked about when he spoke to the shepherds. It's great joy that comes when you hear the good news. A Savior is here. That's good news if you know you need a Savior. If you know that life isn't working on your terms. If you know that your other loves are misplaced and only your love for Christ can remain supreme and in first place and everything else needs to take its place behind him. When you know those things to be true, that you need a Savior and that he is the one that can bring you the deepest of joy, then it's, it's good news and it brings great joy to your heart because he's here. The Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, is here. You who have been at the mercy of life's pain and suffering, good news and great joy, your deliverer has come. If you were powerless against overwhelming foes and you were left to the margins of the world, good news and great joy, because your king, strong and mighty, is here. Your deliverer has come. If you've been on the outside looking in, good news and great joy, because you are now an insider in Christ's kingdom. The strong and powerful and the affluent have been brought low, and those who have been on the margins have been brought in, included into the kingdom. Good news and great joy because you've been brought on the inside. You're no longer just an outsider. You are getting justice. Healing and wholeness is coming to you in Christ, the Messiah. It's not just for those, for those who it seems that life just works out for them. They have all the answers. They've got it figured out. Their plan they just need God to bless their plan. No good news because God has a plan for you. He has joy for you. So joy can well up in your heart knowing that your Messiah has come. In fact, the truth is this type of joy only comes to those who recognize they need a Messiah. In this season, we're celebrating that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. We're celebrating that he has come, but we're also anticipating that he's coming again. And it's for those that are looking to that moment who have received him and have found their savior. This is good news and great joy. For those who are anticipating his return, this is good news and great joy. He's come and has promised the fullness of life that is found in him. But for many, it is an intrusion. Even while celebrating the, the lights, the presents, the trees, even while singing the carols, they find this news of a Savior a little bit intrusive into their life. A Savior? Does he want me to give this up? Does he want to reprioritize my loves? Does he want to change my plans? Well, I can't answer those questions 
in your specific setting, but what I can say is probably, <laughs> it's probably true for you as it has been for me that I need a savior because I have life, not just that I need tweaking, I need it new. I don't want to just give Jesus the life that I've created for him. I want him to cut away my life and give me new life. I don't want him just to bless my loves. I want him to be the greatest of all loves and to reprioritize my life. And it's in that moment that true joy can come to us. So I'll finish with this. Our greatest joy comes when we can look at the deepest brokenness in life and know that Jesus can and will make all things whole. This is the joy that we find in Christ. Not that it's all perfect right now. Not that we have these blinders on and we have a Christian smile. As they said in the Bible Project video, hey, turn that frown upside down. <laughs> or maybe you grew up singing this song that smilers never lose and frowners never win which really isn't true. <laughs> in fact, that was the cry of David. Why are bad people getting so much good stuff in this life? He wondered and just pulled his hair out. God, why, why the iniquity? Why the, the injustice, the imbalance of scales that really bad people have really good stuff in this life? And then he would come to the conclusion, but God... I will not hope in the wealth. I will not hope in my own plan. Lord, I put my trust in you because you will make all things right. This is the joy. This is what I speak of. When, when you and I can look at the world around us and say, it is deeply flawed and broken. And in my life, I can see deep flaws and brokenness. But because of what Christ Jesus has done, there is good news there is great joy in my heart because he who has died upon the cross, crucified, buried, and resurrected, he who sits at the right hand of the Father, he is making all things new and he will make all things completely new and right in a day to come. And so, like the prophets, like Mary, like Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, you and I join in those songs of joy those songs of praise up to God, knowing that everything isn't perfect now, but we are being made perfect. And what's yet to come will be found in perfection in him. So this Christmas, while you think about this message and we ponder what it means to have joy, that joy is accompanied with a savior it's not just joy all by itself. It's good news and great joy because to us, a Savior has come. And for those who recognize that they need a Savior, it's all the good news they need. And it's a joy that overflows their heart. And I pray that that's you today. I pray that the Holy Spirit brings that conviction that you need a savior. You need a savior from this world. You need a savior from the brokenness in your own life as well. 
that you would find wholeness in Jesus Christ. Join with me in prayer. Lord, we, we do celebrate this season because we are reminded that a Savior has come, that you, Jesus Christ, have come and you accomplished the victory upon the cross. That as we look to the manger, we also look ahead to the cross, knowing that that's the very reason that you came, was to save us, not just from this world and the brokenness that is all around it, but Lord, to save us from the brokenness in our own soul and the death of our spirit before we have come to know you. We thank you that we have found our Savior in you, Jesus. And for us, it's, it's good news. It's great joy to our lives. And Lord, we pray you would, you would help us. If we've received you, you'd help us to share that news and that joy, that that would be the message upon our lips, that you would be the love that we share. You would be the one that we communicate to others, Lord. There's so much everyday news and noise going on around us. There's so much of, much of propping up this group or that group. And Lord, it doesn't sound good at all. It sounds hopeless. It sounds futile that it, it all comes to an end. And so we want the good news, the great joy that comes from knowing you. And we want to be people who are empowered to share that. We thank you for this time. May we walk in that abiding joy, regardless of the circumstances around us. May we set our eyes upon our Savior, Jesus Christ, that you have come and that you're coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.